0: This podcast was sponsored by the Merchant Marine Policy Coalition. My name is Clay Maitland. I'm chairman of the MMPC, which was formed in order to support the U.S. flag merchant marine. We hope you enjoy the uh, podcast and welcome your comments and suggestions. Rochelle Hamm and Robert Green are a regular presence in the hearings that have been held, to investigate the sinking of the cargo ship El Faro. Both lost a loved one when the vessel went down in Hurricane Joaquin, and both have started initiatives to make sure something positive comes out of their loss and of the deaths of 31 others on that ship. And the tragedy has brought them together as a team, so much so that when I approached them about an interview, they asked to do it together. We met in an old rail terminal in Jacksonville, Florida, that's now a convention center, and that's been used for the public hearings in the investigation into El Faro. Ham's husband was 49-year-old Frank Ham, an able-bodied seaman, or A.B., on the ship. He was a father of five and had three grandchildren. After the tragedy, she founded the Ham Alert, an online petition aimed at persuading lawmakers to create third-party oversight with the power to divert ships in storms. She likes that the investigation into El Faro sinking is taking place in this public venue. I believe it's gonna to lead to changes that will help in all areas of the ship to make sure that everyone is safe out there on the waters. And all of the things that we are hearing about, everyone will actually know what exactly they're dealing with out there on the seas. And Green is a pastor whose son LaShawn Rivera was the cook on El Faro. He created Mending a Heart, a foundation dedicated to his son's memory and aimed at helping the families heal. But he also sees a missed opportunity in El Faro's history. When the ship was upgraded on two occasions, particularly work about a decade ago to add container capacity to its main deck, its lifeboats weren't upgraded, leaving the vessel at the time of its sinking with four decades old open type lifeboats that would have left crew members exposed in the storm if they needed to abandon ship. Green sees this upgrade project as a moment when authorities could have pushed Alfaro's owner, now known as Tote Maritime, to install enclosed lifeboats or even gone further with a free-fall system that's increasingly common on new vessels, making the ship safer for those on board. Which would have given the, the men a greater opportunity of survivability. I think that that may have been a missed opportunity to hold uh, companies responsible for making those changes. But I think because it didn't fall under the major conversion that it wasn't really required. But those are the type of things I think have to be considered for the future. you think that older vessels should, should be required to have those enclosed lifeboats? I think that by not doing so, we assume a certain amount of risk, and I don't think it's a risk worth taking. This is The Sunken Lighthouse, an audio podcast series by Tradewinds and sponsored by the Merchant Marine Policy Coalition, exploring the October 2015 sinking of El Faro. I'm Eric Martin, a reporter at Tradewinds, a newspaper that covers the global shipping industry, This is the fourth episode of this program on Alfaro, whose sinking killed 33 people during a powerful storm off the Bahamas. We have been exploring the sinking of this ship in meticulous detail, as federal investigators continue their efforts to figure out what happened to the vessel. It's the deadliest shipping casualty under the U.S. flag in decades, and it's raised a host of questions about safety and shipping that we're discussing one by one. In its investigation, The U.S. Coast Guard has held its second round of public hearings looking into El Faro's loss, and a third round is planned. The new testimony dug closer to the so-called accident voyage, that is, El Faro's final journey. But a key source of potential information remains 15,000 feet below the waves. The Voyage Data Recorder, or black box, has been found, and a mission to recover it is planned soon. But officials have acknowledged that it will be challenging to bring it to the surface. Now today, we're looking into the question raised by Pastor Robert Green: Were the upgrades of the ship a missed opportunity to bring the decades-old vessel up to more modern safety standards? He's not alone in asking this question, and many with deeper links to the shipping industry and shipping safety have raised it. As I've mentioned in prior episodes of this program, El Faro sank when it was 40 years old. Much has changed in shipping since it was built by Philadelphia's Sun Shipbuilding in 1975 as part of the Ponce class of vessels, technology, rules on life-saving equipment, stability regulations, and other requirements. Many of these rules are effective only on new vessels. Take those lifeboats that we've mentioned before. El Faro's were open-type lifeboats, perfectly legal, but starting in 1986, ships were required to have lifeboats that were enclosed, giving crew members better protection and thus a better chance to survive if they ever have to abandon ship. But there's a reason why many safety rules in place at the time of a ship's construction are grandfathered in for its lifespan. It would make the cost of ship ownership much higher to have to modernize a ship at each visit to dry dock. After all, imagine how it would be for you if every time vehicle rules changed, you had to pay for the latest version of airbags for your car. But what happens when ships last longer than, say, the 20 years that shipyards often build them for, through major projects aimed at extending their life? That's common for U.S.-built ships, which enjoy a protected market on domestic trades, but which cost much more to build than vessels built in high-volume shipbuilding nations, like South Korea or China. The incentive created by such high new-building costs, after all, is to keep older ships alive and U.S. ship owners have spent no small amount in doing so. But U.S. law has a counterbalance for this grandfathering of safety rules. Once work on a ship is deemed a, quote, major conversion, the vessel then has to meet the latest safety standards, broadly speaking. So what is a major conversion? Under U.S. law, There are few ways for upgrades of vessels to be classified as major conversions. For example, if a project significantly extends a vessel's lifespan, it's a major conversion. If it substantially changes the vessel's dimensions or carrying capacity or type of cargo, major conversion. And the tag applies if the work essentially makes the vessel a new one. U.S. shipowners ask the U.S. Coast Guard for what's called a major conversion determination, so they know ahead of time how their work will be viewed. And when the U.S. Coast Guard does deem a vessel upgrade project to be a major conversion, it can raise the cost well above what a shipowner would have to pay if it didn't have to bring the ship up to the latest standards, says Richard Burke, a professor of naval architecture at State University of New York Maritime College, better known as SUNY Maritime.
1: It's a big deal because uh, it has a tremendous effect on the expense of doing the modification. If it's deemed a major modification then basically you are
0: responsible for meeting all current regulations. And that means that, uh, for instance, the IMO stability uh, uh, rules, um, if, if uh, alfara did not have to comply with them before, they would have had to comply with them after uh, if
1: it was a major modification. A minor modification means you're basically grandfathered in under the old rules you know, that means that you probably have to do a lot less work on the vessel to comply with regulations.
0: Tradewinds has been setting the maritime agenda for over 25 years, providing unrivaled news, opinion and intelligence by the best reporters, Analysts and opinion shapers in the business. With over 48,000 global readers, we're Shipping's most successful news service with quality and insight that simply can't be found anywhere else. Our media channels include the weekly newspaper, online news, business focuses, the TW Plus quarterly magazine, events, and the Tradewinds app. Check us out at TradewindsNews.com. So how did this process play out for El Faro? The ship owner, now known as Tote Maritime, an arm of Seattle conglomerate Saltchuck, asked the U.S. Coast Guard in 2002 whether its plans to add container bays to its main deck would be a major conversion. The ship was a so-called roll-on, roll-off vessel, or Roro, so cargo was literally driven on and off of it. But for years shipping containers loaded on and off the ship by crane had been growing as the key way to move goods to puerto rico from the u.s mainland and that's what this project was responding to according to hearing testimony at first the u.s coast guard said this would be a major conversion but tote maritime asked the agency to reconsider meeting newer standards across the vessel would make the project seven to nine million dollars more expensive this is Coast Guard Captain John Mauger, head of the agency's Marine Safety Center, discussing the exchange with the company.
1: The Marine Safety Center at that time, based on the uh, facts that were presented, um, initially determined that the uh, conversion was going to be uh, met the standard and and that it was, in fact, a major conversion. Uh, Subsequent to that decision, there are at least Uh, two other letters, probably three other letters um, describing back and forth communications um, between the Marine Safety Center and various representatives of the owner um, regarding uh, that uh, determination, regarding the Marine Safety Center's determination. And um, in the last letter, um, the Marine Safety Center, based on the cumulative evidence that was produced during the course of those letters uh, makes the determination um, that it is in fact not a uh, major conclusion. Do you know or have an understanding as to whether there would be a cost benefit uh, to the owner if
0: the 2006 changes were decided by the Coast Guard
1: not to be a major modification or conclusion? So in, uh, in one of the letters uh, to the Marine Safety Center, the owners um, argued that uh, if this were to be a major conversion, that the uh, cost of the modifications would um, be an additional uh, 7 to 8 million or 7 to 9 million, somewhere around that. Uh, on top of the work that they were planning to do.
0: The Coast Guard has some degree of flexibility in determining whether a conversion is a major one. After all, too rigid an approach might dissuade some ship owners from carrying out regular maintenance and upgrade work for fear that it would trigger a host of other investments. Ultimately, the upgrade of El Faro was deemed a minor conversion, and Mauger said the key deciding factor was precedence. Similar projects on similar ships were also deemed minor conversions. But this is the second key instance in this series, in which concerns by U.S. shipping companies about the cost of safety upgrades contributed to derailing an opportunity to bring more modern safety features to ships of El Faro's age. And the first one we encountered happened at around the same time. In a previous episode, we learned that a U.S. Coast Guard proposal to require owners of older ships to install enclosed lifeboats collapsed after the shipping industry claimed that the cost would put the owners of these vessels at a competitive disadvantage. Also, adding to the proposal's demise was in action by the International Maritime Organization, when it also was considering a proposal to require enclosed lifeboats across older ships in the global fleet. But this one goes beyond lifeboats. SUNY Maritimes Burke says a decision that a ship is a major conversion means, for example, that a shipowner will generally have to bring it up to the standards of the International Safety of Life at Sea Convention, or SOLAS, which has been updated over the years. It would apply to amendments to rules on stability and requirements to bolster subdivisions on a vessel to prevent fires from spreading. But he says lifeboats are not typically part of the equation in a major conversion determination though he ventured no opinion on El Faro's specific case. El Faro had been through a project that was considered a major conversion, and that too was after new ships were required to install enclosed lifeboats. In the 1990s, the ship was lengthened by more than 90 feet, a not-so-uncommon project that involved adding a new midsection to the vessel. This, authorities have confirmed, was deemed a major conversion. But even calling a project a major conversion doesn't mean that a vessel has to meet each and every safety rule that has come into force since it was built. There are exceptions. Captain Longer.
1: Where a major conversion, major modification, major conversion determination has been made, uh, then it's the entire vessel must be brought up to uh, the current standards where it is both reasonable and practicable to do so.
0: Now it bears repeating, there is no evidence that enclosed lifeboats would have saved any of the 33 men and women on board El Faro. But their continued presence on this and other ships after 30 years have raised questions about the grandfathering of safety rules for older vessels. They are a highly visible reminder that questions of vessel age are not just about condition and maintenance, but also technology and regulations that in some cases are frozen in time as long as a ship remains on the water, so visible in fact that we used photos on ship-spotting websites to determine that the vast majority of US-built ships constructed before the 1986 changes have the open lifeboats, even though many have gone through costly conversion projects over the years. But here, in the decision-making over whether Alfaro would get a major or minor conversion, there was a lever that, if activated, could have pushed the ship to catch up to newer standards. Were there instances in which these levers should have been pulled to require safety updates? Or does that threshold to do so need to change? Investigators have been asking questions about the conversions of El Faro, both major and minor, and it will take time before they issue any conclusions, so we'll have to wait for an answer to those questions. But before we get there, we'll talk about those 33 souls, captain, officers, crew, and a Polish riding gang. Many of them loved the sea, loved their jobs, but they later paid the ultimate price. That's next time on The Sunken Lighthouse. The Sunken Lighthouse was brought to you by the sponsorship of the Merchant Marine Policy Coalition. This podcast is a production of Tradewinds, which is part of the NHST Media Group, visit our website at tradewindsnews.com. This program was produced and reported by me, Eric Martin. A reminder to check out the other podcasts by the NHST Media Group, by our colleagues at Upstream. It's called The Bit and focuses on the oil and gas industry. The songs, Seeing the Future by Dexter Britton, Adventure Darling by Gillicuddy, The Last Ones by Chazar, as Colorful as Ever by Broke for Free and D.D. Groove by Kevin McLeod come from the Free Music Archive on a Creative Commons license. Thanks to these providers for offering up their great work for free. And thanks to you for listening.